Welcome to Daily Daf Different, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. This is Joe Rosenstein, and I am a professor of mathematics at Rutgers University and the author of Sidur 8 Ratzon and Machzor 8 Ratzon. Today we will be studying Tractate Rosh Hashanah, Daf 31, Lamed Aleph. In yesterday's Daf, it was noted that in years long past, if witnesses came and testified that they had seen the new moon, that testimony would be accepted even if the witnesses came late in the day. But one year when the new moon was that of the seventh month of Tishrei, the witnesses came so late that the Levites had already chanted the weekday psalm when they should have recited a festival psalm. As a result, the practice was changed so that if the testimony of the witnesses was offered late in the day, their testimony would not be implemented, and the next day, not this day, would be, declared, would be declared Rosh Hashanah. This led to a digression in which the Talmud discusses the seven psalms that the Levites recited on the seven days of the week in the temple, and that to this day are recited during the morning service. The Talmud asks why those particular psalms were chosen, and the consensus seems to be that the six weekday psalms are linked to the six days of creation. The linkages are not very convincing. For example, it is suggested that Psalm 94 is recited on the fourth day, that is, Wednesday, when the sun and moon were created, because the harsh words that begin the psalm, El Nakamot Adonai, Adonai is a vengeful God, are directed at those who worship the sun and moon instead of their creator. Since the attempt to link the Psalms to the seven, six days of creation is weak, it is unlikely that this theory, that the Psalms were chosen to correspond to the six days of creation, was accurate. As a result, this Brita, this ancient teaching, suggests to us that even in Temple times, when there was an ordered, orderly transmission of authority, there was not a reliable transmission of the tradition. How else could the Levites not have known why particular psalms were recited at particular times? Returning to the rationale for the psalms, there is surprisingly a dispute about why on Shabbat we recite Psalm 92, which begins, Mizmor Shir Leyom HaShabbat, a song for Shabbat. As we might expect, the view is expressed that this psalm corresponds to the seventh day, the day after creation was completed. But another view is expressed, that this psalm corresponds to the Shabbat that will eventually happen, Leyom Shekulo Shabbat, to the day that is entirely Shabbat. What is this day that is entirely Shabbat? This refers to the time when God's creation would come to an end, and all would return to a state of rest. Our ancestors apparently believed that God created a world that would last for 6,000 years. 
and that these six millennia would be followed by a millennium or two of Shabbat. Interestingly, this end of days was not related in this Midrash to Olam Haba, the world to come, or to Messianic times. Life on this planet was just limited, according to this view, to 6,000 years. They weren't bothered by that timeline because in the Talmudic period the world had 3,000 years to go. But now, as we are only 200 years short of the 6,000 years of creation, should we worry? We certainly have reason to worry about the destruction of life on this planet, independently of this Midrash, as we see the changes in our weather and environment that have been brought on by global warming. Perhaps, our ancient rabbis might have said, it is inevitable that humankind would bring about its own destruction. But such pessimism is premature. Midrash is not reality. Moreover, we have reason to hope that with a new environmental consciousness, the human race can turn us away from the threat of ecological disaster to which it seems to have brought us. Sometimes civilizations come to believe in their own Midrashim. It may be, for example, that the Mayan civilization collapsed in the ninth century simply because its calendar ended, since they believed in the reality of their calendric mythology. We have to hope that Judaism does not suffer the same fate, that the announcement that, quote, the world will soon end, unquote, will not become a dominant theme in some Jewish circles in the next 200 years. Daf 31 continues with other innovations instituted by Rabbi Yochanan ben Sakai, the most interesting of which concerns a strip of red wool. Here is the text of the Brita, an ancient teaching from the time of the Mishnah, but which was not included in the Mishnah. This Brita is cited on this page. It concerns Yom Kippur. Quote, In olden times, they would tie a strip of red wool on the outside of the door that divided the public area of the temple from the sanctuary. If it turned white, they rejoiced. If it didn't, they were sad. So the sages decided that they should tie it on the inside of the door that divided the public area of the temple from the sanctuary. But the public would still peek into the sanctuary to see what happened to to the red wool. If it turned white, they rejoiced. If it didn't, they were sad. So the sages decided, and this decision was attributed to Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, that they should send the strip off with the goat. What is this all about? On Yom Kippur, we read the following verse from Isaiah. Come, let us reason together, says Adonai. Though your sins be like crimson, they will become as white as snow. Though they be as red as dyed wool, they will become as white as fleece. Based on this verse, there was once a custom to place a strip of red wool on the outside of the sanctuary on Yom Kippur, so that when the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, emerged from the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Holy of Holies, and declared to the people, Lifnei Adonai Titharu, before Adonai you are cleansed, the strip would turn from red to white, in confirmation of the declaration of the Kohen Gadol. This physical manifestation of forgiveness may have taken place in early times. The sages said that it happened every year when Shimon HaTzadik was Kohen Gadol. But evidently, it didn't happen as frequently in later times. 
The problem was, presumably, that if the strip of wool did not turn white, the people might not believe that their sins were forgiven, that the rituals of the Kohen Gadol did not work, and that would undermine their faith in the system. So the rabbis and the priests tried to solve this dilemma by giving the strip less visibility, by placing it inside the door instead of outside the door. That solution didn't work, because those closest to the door would peek inside and quickly text everyone in the crowd about the color of the strip of wool. What to do? They couldn't get rid of the strip of wool because it had been part of the ritual for centuries. Then someone came up with the ingenious idea of sending the strip of wool with the goat, which carried the people's sins off to Azazel. That way, they would get rid of the strip without getting rid of the strip by giving it a new role. Was that someone Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai? as claimed by Rav Nachman bar Yitzchak on today's daf? Probably not, because Rabbi Yochanan lived at the very end of the Temple period, and ascribing this change to him would mean that for hundreds of years the Yom Kippur service was marred by red strips that stubbornly refused to turn white. The discussion of the red strip of wool ends the two-day digression to the changes instituted by Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, and tomorrow, we will return to our discussion of Rosh Hashanah. Please join me then. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.